0: We do have a representative from Tennessee, Jeremy Faison. He is the Tennessee Republican caucus chair joining us now. And good evening. Thanks for joining us. Can you just kind of explain to us why you believe these two members have just been expelled?
1: Thank you. That, that's a great question. First of all, I'd like to say this is a, it's a terribly sad time. This is a very grave situation that someone would be expelled. Before that, We've had some serious tragedies in Tennessee, and the, the six innocent lives that were lost last week are, are absolutely devastating. So I want to make sure that we mention that, that that's one of the biggest things going on right now in Tennessee. You asked me specifically about why do I think they would be expelled. And I think that's a great question. America deserves to know. We have several hundred years, over 200 years of, 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 of an incredible state. Incredible State House, history that's rich. Tennessee is one of the most important states in all of America. We have had literally thousands of state reps since 1796 who have who have worked, and then after 1859, have worked in this very chamber that you're seeing me in today. They have all understood that there are rules and procedures to ensure that every voice is heard. There's almost seven million Tennesseans. And we have come up with these ideas that the best way for everybody to be heard is to make sure that we follow the rules of decorum. Cut. These members have come in this entire—oh, go ahead.
0: Let me just, Representative, there interrupt to say, I understand decorum. Mm-hmm. Van was just making the point there. Of course, not everyone could bring a bullhorn in every time they disagreed. Otherwise, it would be total chaos. But why take this step? Why, why Was there no measure you could have taken— Uh, before this, before expulsion, why take the most extreme step so quickly?
1: So that's an excellent question. More than just what America has seen that took place last Thursday, there's a history all year long of disrupting committees and the House floor, getting off of the germane topic. When I say germane, that means what we're dealing with at that moment, just to make political grandstand. We've called them out. The chairman of committees, the Speaker of the House have been calling them out Time and time again for grabbing the mic, sucking the air out of the room, making sure no other voice is heard. And finally, when they come and 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 act so foolish on the House floor, this is a sacred place that belongs to everybody. And literally start looking up into the gallery with a bullhorn, getting the protesters worked up into a frenzy. That is incumbent on us to say, you've gone a step too far and we're going to take steps to make sure that if you ever do come back, if you get reelected, that you know it's a serious thing to Tennesseans that you come and disrupt the people's house.
0: The so speaker, I think it was very, the very here,
1: important for us to do that.
0: The speaker here likened what they did to what happened on January 6th in Washington, D.C. Do you agree with that comparison?
1: I believe them coming in and taking over the House. They, they called it occupying the well. The well is where we stand up front to pass our bills. That, that, is, that is incredibly disruptive and embarrassing to the legislature, the institution that we have here. And I, I didn't see anybody in Congress try to take over. Now, I saw some really big idiots that I hope are punished to the full extent of the law come and break into the Capitol and act foolish on January 6th. But I didn't see a congressman act this way. What we saw here in Tennessee is three elected state representatives who know the rules, who understand that this place belongs to everybody. They come in and rush up here and take over the House floor and refuse even when our Sergeant Arms, he, he's a gentle soul. Several of them are just great men come in and, and, and gently encourage them. Guys, not right now. Let's don't do this. It's, I mean, they, told, they sent them away. It, 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 it was, it was, it's an embarrassment to everybody to see someone come and behave like that and good gentle souls who are sergeant arms have been here for years, come in there and try to encourage you. Hey, you're making a mistake. And they didn't do it. And 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 I would like to add to y'all, they've they've not backed down from that either. You know, I, I told them earlier today, I, I feel like if they would have said, you know what, we messed up. I mean, what American, what human won't bring forgiveness and redemption, but they've doubled down and went so far as to stand in the well today and said, I'd do it again. That was their mentality. That shows me when there's a pattern of behavior like that, if you refuse to stop at yourself, then we have to step in as a group of individuals that work with you and say, you'll not do that here.
0: Well, they said they were passionate because of the underlying reason that I think is important here to also remind people, which is because six people were killed in a shooting last week. And just on your point on January 6th, The reason the Congressmen weren't doing that is because they were being evacuated because the insurrectionists were were taking over the Capitol. But I do wanna let my my colleague here, Van Jones, he also has a question for you. And thank you again for being here tonight.
2: Um, uh, uh, Thank you for for joining us. Uh, I, I just wonder, uh, yes, th- there, there are people uh, who are members of that state legislature. And by the way, I, I work for uh, Jim Nafee, uh Speaker Nafy. I got my start in the uh, state legislature. Wow. So he's I'm, a friend, uh, exactly. I love him. Uh, one of the best ever. And I'm, I'm from, from Madison County, born in Jackson, Tennessee. So mm-hmm. uh, so I know how things work in that state legislature. And you have an array of tools, sir, as a leader, uh, to get people to comply. Uh, why did you not go to the ethics, ethics committee? Why did you not uh, go through uh, due process? If you are here saying. You want uh, this legislator to be respected. Why are you not following the rules and using the tools that you have? You want them to not be extreme, but you're being extreme. Why is that?
1: So a uh, lot of accusation on your part there. Yeah. We actually are following the rules, and, and we gave them ample chance. We, we, we established what was taking place on, on Monday. There was due process. Did you go to the ethics I, committee? And it, it's not just up to me. There's, there's actually... You, you'll notice there were 71, I think, or 70 of the members who, after looking at what took place
2: today, they voted to, to ex, uh, expel one of them. Why and did you not use the, the ethics so, committee? I'm just trying to understand, why did you not go to the ethics committee and do the things that are always done in that body? You have not done this to anybody except for two people in 200 years. You can't tell me that there have not been people who have also been disruptive. You've had people that have peed on chairs that did not get expelled. So I don't understand why you skipped the ethics committee, if you want uh, re- respect, and if you want uh, for people to be uh, reasonable, why are you being so unreasonable and why are you skipping steps? I don't understand, you seem to be contradicting, you're, you're not acting the way you want the young people to act.
1: So I, th- the story of, of someone urinating on somebody's chair has never been quantified. I, I, I've heard many people say that, I don't think there's any truth to that. <laughs> so what you need to understand is, this is a body of people who decide corporately what we're gonna do moving forward. This body spoke many times. I brought our caucus together several times since last Thursday to ask the body what we as a group wanted to do. The overwhelming majority, the heartbeat of this caucus says, not on this House floor, not this way. So if there was an idea of I'd sending it to the ethics group, this group, my caucus, which is the supermajority, there are 75 of us, said no. That is not, we don't want to go the ethics route. We don't want them censored. We want them expelled. So when you're in leadership, you encourage people to look at all the aspects and then you work with what the majority of your people want to do. And that's exactly what we did.
3: Sir, it's Sarah Seidner. I, I had a question. You mentioned um, that you thought that the representatives were riling up the crowd. Um, and I can tell you from the reporters that were out there, the crowd was already riled up. They are extremely upset that your legislature wasn't trying to deal with the issue of keeping children safe in school, but instead going after these two Democrats. And I wonder, sir, who are you punishing? Because, yes, you have kicked out these two Democrats, but there are tens of thousands of constituents that are also being punished and don't have any representation right now. What do you say to them?
1: So, first of all, let's answer the part that you said you didn't think the crowd was already worked up, so they weren't working them up. I'd like you to go back and watch. watch what took place today. They literally control the crowd. They control the protesters. They look at them. They do their hand like this. They do their hand like this. It's like leading a choir. So the notion that you think that they weren't getting the, the people in, incited and worked up into a frenzy, unfortunately, you weren't here. You didn't see it. That's exactly what they Our did. And they proved to us today by to it up in telling
3: They talked to some of them. And some of them were teachers who were so distraught. They were near tears because they could not believe that their lawmakers We're doing this as opposed to dealing with the the biggest issue at hand. The number one killer of children is gun violence. And they wanted y'all to do something about that instead of wasting time in their mind when it comes to this. I mean, they literally talked about it on the air. So they were already quite worked up because they love their state and they love their kids and they want to see a safer place for the children and themselves, really.
1: So, I, 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 I'm, I'm sure that's what you think, but we, we, we watched them today directing them like a choir leader would. That, that, that was what was amazing. And, and, and I'll tell you this, and unfortunately, I, I've got to go. I'm, I'm three and a half hours from home. It's not possible for us to move forward with the way they were behaving in committee and on the House floor. There's got to be some peace. And for them, the way they were behaving to disrupt every committee, disrupt the House floor they were, how can we get to the, to the answers of what are we going to do about gun violence, what, what are we going to do about guns and cars? what are we going to do about red flag law, well, the, the conversation can't happen because they're drowning out and sucking all the air out of the room, so I, I would just push back on you saying we can't get there if they won't let us, and thank you for letting me speak with you, God bless you
0: Representative. Y'all. Representative, I know you had a long drive home, one final question for you. All right. Well, Jeremy Faison has left us. He's the Republican chair in Tennessee. Of course, that was the House that voted tonight to expel these two Republicans or these two Democrats, I should note.
4: I want to go to Reese and Greg. Uh, just Greg, just want to get your thoughts. Uh, just what we just witnessed and what we're seeing right now.
5: I'm very encouraged, Rowan. Um, I'm very encouraged, even as we see the stormtroopers there. Um, and as we're watching there, we see some of the younger generation again. Uh, there's Tori Harris, who we heard speak from West, there with the, with the locks, uh, 32 years old from Memphis area, Shelby County. I'm very encouraged. You see, the problem, that the, as you write about in, in White Fear, the problem is that these stormtroopers, as we watch them and their progeny, they're not really having a lot of children. Uh, Greg, hold on uh, one
4: second, hold on one second. Sure. Go ahead and uh, finish your comment there, Greg.
5: Yeah, just very quickly, as I said, I'm very encouraged because, you see, these are the turning points. What I was mentioning earlier with Fort Pillow, when it was clear that the white Confederates were going to slaughter any black people they encountered, the black soldiers decided they were not going to play by the rules of war. They killed every Confederate they could get their hands on, and their cry was, remember Fort Pillow. That was out of Memphis. This is a Fort Pillow moment, not physically, but politically. In other words, there are only two sides on this. You're either for our common humanity or you're for white supremacy. You have to pick now, and you've been making this point all along tonight, Roland. In every state, whether it be in North Carolina, where we saw that act of betrayal by Tricia Cotham, who knew all along she was going to switch to the White Nationalist Party, whether it be Texas or Mississippi, whether it be here in Tennessee, what we see is you've got to pick a side. And what these devils have done is they have taken one more large step toward breaking this thing. And when it's broken, it can be remade it can be renegotiated. But there are only two sides, so I I want to congratulate them. I think they did what they should have done with their supermajority, which is uh, uh, nurture their tiny dreams and aspirations and fears. And they have taken us one step closer to resolution, Roland. This is where we have to make a decision because apathy means you are with them.
4: Hmm. Mm. Uh, Reese, I remember during the George Floyd protest, uh, there was somebody who said um, Look, I don't believe in the political process. I'm not voting, but I'm going out to protest and then somebody else said well protesting without voting is stupid uh, And so what people need to understand what people need to understand it all goes together You cannot mm-hmm. protest policies if you don't get rid of and change the policymakers
6: duh just like you ain't gonna get a paycheck unless you clock your ass in at work like what's not clicking with people i don't understand it why is it only not clicking with our side too that's another good question i have to ask people people need to wake up the up. I mean, how much more extreme does it have to get? We had Sandy Hook. We had Uvalde. We had Buffalo. Now we have Tennessee. The list goes on and on and on. And and today, it's 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 just ironic to me that we spent a little bit of time talking about the news with Clarence Thomas, who parlayed this phrase into a lifetime appointment. What we saw here today with just the two black electeds and not the white woman getting expelled is a high-tech lynching. And I don't even like that phrase, but if you're going to use it, Mm -hmm. this is exactly what we saw here tonight. It's disgraceful. And I I wonder what it's going to take for white people, because Mm. that's what's single-handedly keeping the Republican Party alive and in power, to understand that your babies are on the chopping block. Your babies are the ones that got these people in this rotunda tonight. Your babies were the ones that were slaughtered in Sandy Hook. And I hate to sound crass, but your babies are the ones that are going down with the rest of us. Don't you give a damn about them. You're not getting the the wages that you need. You're not getting the health care that you need from these Republicans. You're not even being able to retire with any kind of comfort. Your life expectancy is going down. What are you getting other than whiteness and why is it enough? It's irrational because, to be honest, whiteness really ain't that popping. You ain't got popping. seasonings, (laughs) foods, music, nothing. It's a lot better if you don't put too much stock in that. And I hope that one day you'll wake up. But at a minimum, black people we have capacity that we're not exercising. I'm not even talking to people who won't even bother to fill out a form online and get registered. I am talking about people that are registered. We have a capacity to vote that shove the mouth as as uh as Dr. Probably say without the motherfucker part. Uh, Tay Reeves out in Mississippi. He wanna play in our face and talk about a Confederate uh month, the last Confederate history month, if you vote his ass out. So we have to start using our power. If you don't use it, then you're abdicating it. And you're abdicating it to the Klan, to the people that are going to get our asses up out of here and do God knows what with us if they get the opportunity to.
4: Yes, The thing that I I need to remind people uh, 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 of of what's going on is that, again, today, Tennessee Republicans, because they have a supermajority, use their power to expel two black House members, the two youngest members in the House. Representative Justin Jones, 72 Republicans voted to expel him. 69 Republicans voted to expel Representative Justin Pearson. Both of them are no longer members of the Tennessee legislature. We also know that as a result of this, because Representative Gloria Johnson 65 Republicans voted to expel her, but she survived. We don't know what the distinction is. We'll find out why. She was asked about it and she was like, could be our different skin color. But what we also need to understand, and this is why history matters. Folks, this is Reconstruction again. The Great Compromise of 1876 leads to the the election of 1866, leads to the Great Compromise of 1877. What do the racist Southern Democrats do? Force black members out of state capitals all over the South. Greg, let folks know what that brother from North Carolina said when he said, we'll be back.
5: George White, yes, sir, the last representative in the federal legislature. What was it, 1900? He said, "Like a phoenix from the ashes, we will be back. We will return to this house." He was the in, from North Carolina, the last floor speech given by a black representative, and of course, as you know well, know, Roland, and uh, it was a beautiful thing to see you having talking there to Mayor Johnson now in Chicago. When we returned to the federal legislature, it was as a result of the Great Migration coming out of Chicago first, and then New York and other places. And now we're at a moment, uh, a century later, where the largest number of elected officials in the Congress of of African descent ever is there. Many of them are the children of immigrants, whether it be Yvette Clark out of New York, all the way out to our brother out of Nevada, Stephen Holsford. You've got a diversity there. Now, now, our challenge is to, in the words of Dr. King, uh, stitch our people together so that we can have a compelling power. What you have in Tennessee is you know, an example of that, for example. I mean, you have Justin Jones. Justin Jones from Oakland. You know, I see these young legislators in there, and I'm reminded of when I was a young man at Tennessee State, and we were going over and, and, and marching to the legislature and protesting, The legislators there, they're all gone now. Harold Love, you see Harold Love Jr. there who fought for that appropriation for Tennessee State. His father was there, Harold Love Sr. Um, Rufus Jones out of Memphis. Lois Deberry from Memphis. And our critique of that generation was you don't do enough. We were pushing them. They weren't doing enough. However, there were things we hadn't yet matured to understand. What we're seeing right now with these uh, men with their little manhood on their hats as they look around, certainly thinking to themselves that they have a choice to make today beyond that uniform, what we're seeing is young people, white people, black people, other non-white people, I won't say people of color, and they've had enough. Nashville has been blue a long time. I don't want to say red, blue, in terms of Democrat and Republican. Nashville has been non-white nationalist, many pockets of it, a long time. But there are issues of gentrification and there are class issues in places like Atlanta and and places like the uh, the suburbs of Jackson, Mississippi and Atlanta. We have to confront the fact that if we want to have a country, and I'm not talking about the United States of America, it can go to hell, it's headed to hell. Dr. King would say as much in his last uh, speeches and writings. If we want to have a place where human beings can thrive together, we have to reject the politics we're seeing right now. But if, if we want to have a different kind of society, we're going to have to build it. These white nationalists are not going to hold hands with us. you got to break their backs politically. And some of the people who are going to work with them, like Clarence Thomas, are going to look like us. This is even beyond the color of our skin. This is about coming together in our common human interest. And if you don't pick this side, then you oppose that, and as far as I'm concerned, we're done talking.
7: A storm is rising against the privileged minority of the earth. This
5: is why I say it's liberty or it's death. It's freedom for everybody or freedom for nobody.
1: This is an NBC News Hotline special
4: report. We're at a turning point in the history of this nation. We need to stand for freedom. There's an escalating authoritarianism and even a creeping fascism. Freedom is precious. If we don't fight for it, you lose it
3: forget about me. I don't
7: myself
4: This much is clear. We must rebel. This is our country. We have always lived in it. We were happy.
5: We have to protect ourselves. We have to save our country. We have to fight for what is ours.
7: Hello ladies and gentlemen, I am your brother Vimir D. Sokai and welcome to this part two to this special episode, emergency episode. On the Tenet C-3. The origins to this episode part. Are rooted in my editing the first part. While I was editing the first part. I had in my mind a few. Uh, sections from other shows that I wanted to place at the beginning of that episode. You heard all of them. But, never wanting to overlook something, I was on YouTube looking around, seeing if I had missed any good segments. When I came across the interview that you heard at the beginning of this segment, Or on this uh, episode. I had already been thinking. Deeply. About. um, The leftist mafia. uh, Clip. Which was the middle clip. In the first. uh, Episode part. And I had been thinking about it. Because I had already recorded the episode when I found that clip. So, I didn't have time, or I, I didn't have the capacity to think on it in order to record about it. Now, obviously, that's kind of what this is for. So I I had already had it in my mind that, dang, you know, I should have, I should take some time maybe to produce something within the week about what was said in that clip. It was then that I found the CNN interview. And watching it turned me. Turned something within me. Now I've spoken about this before. I've spoken about how my father talked to me about the stench of death in the air during segregation. I've spoken to you about that living in an atmosphere of terror. Something that has only been subtly and partially, not really subtly, but partially studied is the psychological and emotional impact created by uh, such circumstances. I've, I've spoken to you about it. and, and while I uh, I could relate to an extent, considering the microaggressions that black folks deal with every day, myself included, and the hypertension that we experience, um, a medical concept that literally has to do with constant stress. I mean, why are you hyperly tense? Oh, it's because you're in an environment which is hostile to your very existence. You're in an environment that's hostile to your very existence. Hypertension. You are hyperly tense. Because you know you're not in a place that is conducive to your health. Given the fact that I know all of this exists and more, um, and we have some of the worst access to health care throughout this country, The overtness that my father was so keen on trying to help me understand wasn't as boisterous as I may have thought. See, because I went to a primarily white school, I was taught that over racism was extreme. It was a person calling you out your name, as we say in the old times. It was a person literally uh, using cultural norms to dominate you, to make you feel small. If you're not supposed to look a white man in the eye, he will stare you down and dare you to try to fight back by staring back at him. If you're supposed to give way for women walking, particularly white women walking on the sidewalk, They will deliberately walk towards you to see if you do that and pray that you don't. Those were overt forms. But there are other overt forms which I truthfully didn't care to acknowledge and in that clip I saw some of them there is a language formation to racism white people speak it well they have a domineering tongue Affixed to an ego that believes they are supposed to be rulers on this planet. And specifically, they are supposed to be rulers over the indigenous. Now, when we think of indigenous, we often think only of the red man. Newsflash, y'all. The most indigenous people on this planet are Africans. We populated the planet. That is to take nothing away from our indigenous brothers over here in North America. No, in fact, it is to unite us. I'm a big fan of the red, black, and green flag that we use. And I often find it amazing that black is the center. And red is to the left. What side did Jesus sit on, sit on again? Oh, that's right. There's a whole language formation to racism. And we do a lot as black folks to not let it impact us. But that language formation can be devastatingly brutal when the body language, those microaggressions that I mentioned, are equally applied. In this clip, this man used racial language formation that was both advanced and pedestrian. He used physical cues that were both advanced and pedestrian. There was a moment where he was speaking with Van Jones and you couldn't see the video, but you should really look up the video, where he smiled. And that same demonic smile, that same demonic energy that I spoke about during the George Floyd aftermath, Could be seen on his face. And I give credit to Van Jones. Because Van Jones played along. He gave him one of them devious smiles right back. And the fool for a minute. Thought that he was talking to a friend. And he let down his guard. Just a moment. And he spoke. From his heart. He spoke from his heart. I uh, I couldn't help but to think of my father. I also couldn't help but to think. And by the way, I couldn't help but to think of my father because my father used to tell me a white man don't hide who he is for long. Further, I used to think about my father telling me that, because look, my mother wasn't born in segregation. She was born in 1955. I mean, sure, it was still around, and she was in Georgia for a little bit of her life before moving up to Brooklyn. But she didn't experience what my father did, living in, the, in uh, Louisiana, which is still very much segregated. But my father used to tell me segregation could not survive and exist. And in this case, thrive. Because unlike most people, I know what the word thrive means. And in this case, it actually matters. It actually is relevant. Most people who use it in terms of prosperity don't have any clue what thrive means because you wouldn't use it for prosperity. It does not mean prosperity. It means separation and then some. But segregation could not survive and thrive if it wasn't committed to by tens of millions of white people. He used to tell me that. Don't let him fool you, son. Don't let these people fool you. White people were okay with segregation for the most part. And he wasn't lying. When I look at the Tennessee 3, I see white complicity. I see white complicity. Why is it that in a state with Absolutely horrible poverty statistics among white people. Do they vote for these demons? Does this mean that all GOP people are demons? Well, I don't have to really coddle your your egos. If I have to say it, then maybe I'm talking to you. Why is it that they vote these people in? Oh, well, it's because they were gerrymandered. No, that doesn't guarantee that a GOP member is going to be voted on and, and elected. No, white people keep committing to this stuff, even though it injures them. These, this is, this is, this is really understated here. These black men were expelled for standing up and they mentioned this. One of them mentioned this. To protect a phenomenon that is occurring mostly to white children. To protect against that phenomenon. To put in measures that make sure that that phenomenon is not repeated. And they got kicked out for that. Think about that. This CNN clip underscored the evil that is being fought against. See, y'all think this is about Delegitimizing GOP humanity. I heard, probably, o- had to be over two decades ago now. I heard this saying from a Native American. That, I'm going to butcher, because I haven't heard it in favor. But it went something like, you had to earn your right to be called a human being. You had to earn the right to be admitted into humanity. You were born with that potential, but you had to prove that you would live by that potential. You didn't have to be perfect, but you had to prove that you could live by that potential. I'm not delegitimizing their humanity. It is possible that all these people have humanity within them. But when I see somebody smile the way he did, when I see people doing the things that are anti-life, the way that these people are doing them. Don't come to me and ask me if I'm delegitimizing their humanity. Their actions delegitimize their own humanity. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that they should be punished by uh, some physical harm? Only people with an ego built on dominating others would think that. No, that's a logical... Yes, if your ego is built on dominating. This is the thing that white conservatives and a lot of white people can't get out of their minds. The sickness of needing to dominate others is their burden to bear. The white man's burden. Say nothing about the white woman's burden is rooted in this need to dominate and control to use for false pretenses to consume for no other reason but to consume that is your burden And you find it impossible to believe that other folks live by higher standards. Because you are proving day in and day out that you are incapable of living by those higher standards. Now there are those of you who prove that you can live by those higher standards. but mostly the rest of you are incompetent when it comes to these things and you know it and you know it this clip underscores the challenges That are faced by a lot of black men and a lot of black women in this society. Why? Two reasons. One, because if Jesus existed, he was clearly a black man. And that has never been lost to white people. That's a little tongue-in-cheek. I don't really mean that. But I kind of do. I was talking with a friend of mine years ago. Who's a deep Christian. And he brought up the fact that he was all for Jesus being Middle Eastern. And it made sense because yada, yada, yada. And I brought up the historical record. That if Jesus actually lived in the time period that they said, and where he lived, and the fact that he could march into Egypt the way that he did, and he could chill out in the temples with the priests and all the like, it was likely he was probably a darker skinned man. And my friend became very uncomfortable very quickly. And I've had this happen with a number of my white Christian friends who are fine with Jesus being Mesopotamian, Arab. But the moment you suggest that he was African, dark-skinned, that, that, oh, this problem. No, in fact, again, tongue-in-cheek, that part is tongue-in-cheek. This is actually the real reason. The real reason. It is because black folks, despite what we have been through. And big up to Dr. Oba for really helping me see this. He lectures on YouTube. Check him out. Oba O-B-A-T-S-H-A-K-A. O-B-A-T-S-H-A-K-A. These are lectures built for black folks. White folks. Hispanics, Native, Indigenous, it's not that you can't watch them. Just prepare yourself, because these are for, these are dedicated to black culture. And we have very different conversations amongst ourselves than you used to. Anyway, he helped me to see. See, there's a through line between us being kidnapped from Africa, being enslaved, Going through the Civil War, going through Reconstruction, entering Jim Crow, going into the Civil Rights Movement, and through the modern day, Black Power Movement up to today, Black Lives Matter, all of it, there's a through line of moral completeness, despite everything we have been through. We still uphold dignity and morals. Yes, there are problems. A lot of them caused by interference in our community. A lot of them caused by trauma. But we still have a lot of dignity and morality. And if a people can go through what we've gone through over the last 500 plus years and still hold on to dignity and morality, there is something powerfully destined for those people. And white people are afraid of that destiny. Because in their minds, it must mean the big payback. Even though black folks, Africans, throughout the diaspora have made it very clear if you back up off of us, we ain't going to have to get medieval on you. Oh wait. We really don't do medieval, do we? No, we don't. We're not going to have to get divine on you. And white people, being the children that they are, they were the last ones created on this planet, that is, they don't take a hint. They have to keep prodding So they're afraid now because they've prodded a little bit too much. The other reason is really rooted in the fact that when we move, and he he mentioned this, he mentioned this in the clip, when we move, the world moves. He mentioned it in the clip. He said, you didn't see how these people were controlling The crowd, they would move their hands like this, and the crowd would move. They would move their hands like that, and the crowd would move. The devil knows when God's in the house. And he knows when the choir is gathered. And he saw the choir and became afraid, because God had returned to Tennessee. It's great to see the devil have to face down an equal who he knows is going to defeat him. These are people who have sworn themselves against multiculturalism and you wonder why. They see the power in black culture even if Well, I'll leave that unfinished. They see the power in it. They know within themselves that it wasn't white people back in the 1960s who moved the world. It was black folks. It was Africans. We moved the world. As Dr. King pointed out in a speech in 1961, Africans in the United States watched As Africans on the continent assumed their rightful positions as rulers over their people. And I use that term loosely. They took over the administration of their countries. And black folks here in the United States said, Whoa, they doing that, we doing that. And we doing it now. We are doing it now. We ain't waiting. And that changed the dynamics of our interactions with this country. Sure, we ourselves had ignited the fire for other people prior to the 60s and prior to the 50s. But that was returned to us during those decades. And as we stood up, Dr. King pointed this out in 1967, as we stood up, so did white people. So did white young people. Did you know during the Korean War there was a substantial anti-war movement on black campuses? Did you know some of the greatest and earliest opposition to the Vietnam War was on black campuses? We woke folk up. And see, these demons have been fighting against the 1960s for the last 60 plus years. They have been Fighting against the 1960s for the last 60 plus years. They know what they're fighting against. They're fighting against black people taking hold of the world's destiny. And not only moving it further into justice. Remember, I've told you before, we are in the era of justice. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Remember, I told you that. We are in the era of justice. I said this before. George Floyd died. Actually, I don't know if I published that one. I may have not published that one fearful of us grabbing the world's destiny and bending it further into justice but not only doing that taking our rightful place at the head of this planet that's what they fear now you might say "Well, wait a minute you said dominating when you hear head of something you think of dominating because that's where your mind is the head dominates nothing. It cooperates with. The head dominates nothing. It cooperates with. It cooperates with. What is the head without the body? What is the body without the head? This is the problem. There always must be something first. And first, for white folks, means controlling. Domineering. Dominating. The human body has multiple energy centers. And if one of those multiple energy centers, and here I'm not talking chakras, I'm talking literal centers of energy where if that is off a little bit, it throws the body off. The heart is one, the brain is another, the um, thyroid is another, and yes, I know these are all correlative to chakras, yes. Even, even the small intestines. Read a book some years ago that said that the gut has more neural endings than the brain. And it's kind of interesting, if you look at the brain, which is made of all these little folds, and then you put it next to the small intestines, you see something quite interesting The brain brain is made with all these little folds. Guess what the small intestines is made of? All these folds. Black folks remember this sacred ancient truth. When you are at the head of something, you are the chief. But you have specific duties. Or you could be the elder who is part of the chief council and the elders council and things like that. But you have specific duties that keep stable. That thing which you are leading. You are not dominating it. You are a channel through which something... is executed through. We remember this. White folks fear that we remember this because that means their time in the sun is over. When we stand up, they must sit down and we are preparing to stand up and they know it. Now, we ain't trying to crush him on our way up. But people like this man are confident that we must be crushed so we can't stand up. This was the thinking that ruled the United States and Europe throughout the Third World War, which took place during what we call the Cold War. They had to stop black and red and yellow indigenous people from standing up by crushing them. And they did so by using dictators. They did so by using fascism. They did so by using the force of their military might in the world that they created came back and punched them in the face on September 11th. And in more modern times, is punching them in the face by having all of these people from these countries which they colonized and refused to leave alone. After World War II, having all these people flood to their countries. They initiated the Great Replacement. And they did it 100 plus years ago. They set themselves up for the destruction which they are now trying to fight against. The sad part is we didn't even want to do it. They did it to themselves. We were warning them about this. Now I want to move on here and i got to say that the leftist mafia which is the name of the podcast, sort of podcast, um, which Rational National participates in with a number of other people. They presented something that I need to talk about before I end this, this episode part. That is the innate danger in being who these young brothers are. Talented, gifted, black men. I have to start off this section with information that is rarely ever talked about. Black media spaces in 2015 and 2016 and 2017. were rattled by a series of murders in places like Missouri, in other hot spots where black folks had been rebelling and had been trying to set up something politically rooted and politically grounded. A list of names started going around. Black men who had been in leadership positions and organizations were found mysteriously murdered. One that sticks out to me was a brother who was seen as charismatic, well speaker, a good speaker. somewhat a strategist in mind was found in a car with a single gunshot to his head and it was clear it was deliberate. Now, some people dismissed this list as folks making stuff up. There were other people who I listened to during the time, who are no longer uh, podcasting or anything, who were very adamant that no, listen, these are this this is concerning. We've seen this before. People, um, black men who stood up to try to do something powerful for their community suddenly end up dead. It made me think back to what a street man I used to know, I mean, I still know him, I just don't see him anymore, told me. He traveled to many of the big cities. To be honest, he did so for less than legal purposes and spent some significant time in jail and prison for those less than legal circumstances. And he said to me, we were talking one night, and I asked him, I said, you know, what do you think about, because this was 20-plus years ago, I go, you know, what do you think about this idea that, you know, black political leaders in the inner city are being killed? And he goes, of course. Like, Wait, what? And he goes, yeah, of course. I like, what do you mean? He goes, think about it. You have a black political leader who is starting to really build a base, He's doing things inside the system and outside the system. He's not only doing things inside the system, but he's also organizing black people outside the system so that they can actually um, use their power. And then suddenly there's a drive-by and he's murdered. And they say it's senseless on the news. He goes, of course I don't buy that. Of course I don't buy that. The biggest gang, his words, in the world... In the United States especially, where's a badge? And a lot of those gangs are connected to other gangs. Okay. I remember my mouth dropped open. I'm like, wow. And he's like, look, look, little man. I've seen things. You know? I've been in the room with some of these people. I'm like, wait, what? And he's like, man, you just don't get it. You know, like, trust me, I've been in the room with some of these people you don't realize the structures that are at work sometimes. Okay. Okay. Trust me. They get them before they can grow. Kill them before they can grow. Now, they get them before they can grow. Kill them before they can grow. That is the name of, I think, a book. Kill them before they grow. But it's not talking about um, police, gangs, anything like that. It's talking about education. It's a take off of the um, miseducation of the Negro. I thought about this, and I've been thinking about this. Because I have had folks ask me, mostly, you know, this was, again, 20-plus years ago, I I have white people ask me, why are there no more Malcolms? Why are there no more Martins? And it's so funny. I was very asleep back then. I didn't know the things that I know now. And even I could answer with certainty. The reason we don't have Malcolm and Martins anymore is because they killed them. And every time we try to develop another one like Martin or Malcolm, they kill them, they throw them in jail, they kick them out. They don't want to see another Martin and Malcolm. Now, it would be in 2008 when I was reading through the COINTEL file, the COINTEL profiles from the church committee that what I had been saying for years was confirmed to me when I found that memo, we fear the rise of a black messiah. Let me tell you something that most Christians don't realize about the idea of the Messiah. The Messiah is generational, y'all. Do you realize that? The Messiah never comes alone. The whole idea of Jesus is he is Jesus because of his disciples. That means when Jesus was put on the planet, if you believe the story, that means not only did God put Jesus on the planet, He put people around Jesus who would follow Him and who would work with Him to make real what Jesus was put here to do. Do you understand the significance of that? When you are talking Messiah, you are talking about a group. You think it's an individual. It's not. It's a group. And it's a circle. There's more to it. I don't have time to get into it. I'm not going to get into it because I'd be here for another 40 minutes. But that is one of the secrets that you just have not seen, that you don't understand. But I'll tell you who does understand it. Intelligence, military, you are never fighting one person. You're always fighting more than one. And because they are committed to destroying consciousness, don't get it twisted. The CIA, the FBI, the MIA, the DI, it's all about destroying consciousness. That's what they do. There's a little bit that has to do with protecting and da-da-da-da-da, but the majority of what they're really doing is destroying consciousness. Because as I said to you many times before, capitalism is a system that goes against nature, specifically nature which we live in, mother nature, but it also goes against human nature. And if something goes against human nature, consciousness swells up to beat it back, to overcome it. So you must have a system there that is dedicated to beating down consciousness and destroying it. Thus you are going against the cosmos and the cosmos does not like that. You are an Atom to the cosmos and if you keep going against it sooner or later the cosmos is going to respond in such a way where you are no longer an atom but I digress there is a historical relevance to what is happening with these brothers There's also a connection to what is happening to black folks as a microcosm, or as a macrocosm, should I say. But I want to talk about the historical point because it's important. White folks have always moved to isolate black consciousness, and particularly black people who want to spark black consciousness not only within black people but other folks as well they've always moved to isolate and neutralize those folks which is why I am so concerned. Because this man went on CNN and he branded these brothers. He painted them. He put out an APB on these brothers and other brothers like them. You see, Republicans fear black women, but they fear and loathe black men. Why? Because in the dominating mindset that they carry, they want to conquer black women, which usually results in sexual congress. But most of them, some of them want to conquer black men too, which they want sexual congress there too. But most of them want to defeat black men, destroy them, eliminate them. And when they see somebody who comes up like these brothers do, the power of their convictions... That'll never be removed. They see something that they can't destroy. But they're going to try. And there's a process to it. First, they try to isolate. When that don't work, then they try to expel or move away that person. When that don't work, then they try to publicly um, shame when that don't work, then they try to lock up, criminalize. When that don't work, then they try to exterminate. And that's why I worry for these brothers. Because the, this man went on CNN and he told Republicans, this is how you need to handle these disrespectful Negroes. And you need to be looking out for people like him, like them. Because where they're at, consciousness is. And where consciousness is, you have a movement that is breathing. Some things you cannot remain quiet. About. And this is one of them. Off in some far distance, man, I hear the lightning clattering. I hear the lightning clattering. I hear the lightning clattering. To my sisters, thank you. You have kept through this long night the candles burning. You have kept through this long night the candles burning. Thank you. To the brothers, through this long night. You have kept the candles quiet. Thank you. Thank you. I need white folks to prepare now. Because your people are set to slaughter it. That is not easy for me to say, but it is the truth. The agitation that is happening suggests not only are they prepared to engage in violence to protect what they perceive as theirs, but they are looking forward to it. They don't want black messiahs. They want false ones. It is amazing to me, and this is the last thing I'm going to say here, a people that speak so heavily concerning the, quote, false messiahs, the coming of the false Messiah is amazing to me that they keep getting pulled in by the devil in disguise if you have any questions comments concerns you know you can always reach out to me i love hearing from you please support the work that i am doing the headline, CWB the podcast CWB, CWB podcast
4: you might PayPal what it takes
7: to Cash app
4: When you know that you it before Where a I am lies to a people And the the country video, is all. drifting Peace. There's a shadow on the faces of the men who send the guns to the wars that are fought in Where their business interest runs On the radio, talk shows, and the TV You hear one thing again and again How the USA stands for freedom And we come to the aid of a friend But who are the ones that we call our friends? These governments killing their own Or the people who finally can't take anymore and they pick up a gun or a brick or a stone And there are lights in the
3: balance